You are listening to a message from City Church, located in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. For more information on City Church, or for additional resources, including service times, recommended readings, and additional audio, please visit citychurchpa.org. I want to welcome you this morning, and thank you so much for worshiping the Lord Jesus with us. Um, I want to tell you that, like, it is always a joy to hear you sing to the Lord, and just, and this is, this is the day that he has made, um, and, and he calls us into his presence, and, and there's just something about that, like, when I start really just meditating on what we do on a weekly basis, uh, just like coming here, singing, and listening to the Word of God, and just thinking about the fact that um, though there's just like you, we're not confined just to this room. We are part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, where the past almost 24 hours, like while you were sleeping, there were saints waking up, maybe in China, waking up in different places, and doing exactly what you're doing and thinking about the fact that like there's going to be a day when there's going to be a day when the whole church of the Lord Jesus Christ gathers together singing to the Lord what a day that would be what a day so just don't 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 look down on what we do here. This is just a rehearsal. It's just like little choirs rehearsing together. And there's going to be a day when the glory of God is just evident because, because we will be before him. So if you have your Bibles, would you open them to Exodus chapter 33? Um, 33, I am grateful to uh, stand before you today and, and just open God's word, Exodus chapter 33, um, and it was read earlier on, but I'm going to just really maybe start us uh, with verse 1, verse 1, the Lord spoke to, the, to Moses and he says, go up from here, you and the people you brought from the land of Egypt to the, to the land I promised Um, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your offspring. I will send an angel ahead of you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. And I'm going to end there for now, and we'll, um, one thing that I want us to just like begin, um, just, um, you know, a lot of times my wife sometimes ends up getting annoyed with me for this one thing. Sometimes I'm very undecided on what to wear. So I will go in and I'll put on a shirt uh, and, and I'll put a jacket on and I would say to her, with or without the jacket. And then she will give me her opinion and then I'll go and I'll say, uh, with these shoes or without these shoes. What, like, and then so a lot of times and she will end up giving up and saying, just do what you want. Right, just do what you want. And, and, and I want to use that as an illustration today as we begin. Um, really at the end of the day, I think every single human being, you and I, will have to be faced with one question. Are you going to do life with or without God? 
Like where it's like, it's, it's like with or without God. What is it that's going to happen in your life? And this is actually what the text even today that we, that we see. Moses tells Moses, God tells Moses to go to the promised land and he will send the, an, an angel with them. But he won't go because they are stiff-necked people. Um, they are choosing to do life without God. And, and the people mourn and they cry. Uh, and a special place is actually built where Moses meets with God face to face. And so here, what I want us to really just begin to kind of think about and is, is like, are we going to, are you, are we going to live life with or without God? And that's the question that you and I have to answer. In this text today, what we're going to see is that it helps us to, uh, I'm going to frame it in three questions. It helps us to ask three questions that could have been asked of the Israelites and that needs to be asked to us even as well. And so these are the questions that we have. The first question is this, do you follow God only because you want a good life? Do you follow God only because you want the good life? So Exodus 33 verse 1 to 3 sounds like the dream of every single person. In fact, there's a strand of Christianity today called the prosperity gospel that just basically says you seek God. You need God. Seek God for only what he can do for you. And literally like, and, 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 and people end up really confused because they, after God has given them everything, they find themselves still going back into the life of sin. Right, And here we see in this text, Lord, the Lord God speaks to Moses and he says, Hey, listen, go up, right, you and the people that you brought from the land of Egypt to the land I promise. And so we see here God is a God who's like, and because after the, the, the golden calf, the question that is there is that God, are you still going to keep your promises? The, are you going to keep your promises? Will you fulfill your promises? And the answer here is God says, yes, I'm going to keep my promises. I'm going to keep my promises, and, and in spite of all that has happened, God will remain to his promises that he made. And look at this, to, to, to Abraham, he picked him up from the Ur of the Chaldees, and he promised him that I will give you a land, I will give you land. His promise, he promised it to, to Isaac and to Jacob. And so God is saying, hey, listen, in the midst of this, you might break promises, because you stood before me when I gave you the Ten Commandments and you said, all these things we will do. But you might break promises, but I'm a God who is faithful. Right? And so here you are seeing the contrast right there. Where God is a God who's saying, I'm going to keep my promises. I'm going to keep my promises and, and I'm even going to make it easy for you. I'm going to send an angel and he's going to clear all the obstacles that go before you. All the enemies that stand before you that literally are going to, that, that, that are a terror to you. I'm going to actually clear them out. And this is the land beyond your, your, your wildest, wildest dreams. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, Right? And I want you to see the picture there is that God saying, I'm, I picked you up from the land of slavery. Like where you were weeping and moaning and crying out to me to rescue. I picked you from there. I am leading you to a land flowing with milk and honey. Right? But for a lot of us here, 
a lot of us would have been like, oh yeah, I'm great with that. That's exactly what I want. I want a comfortable life. I want the best life now. I want, this is actually what, for you, probably you would have looked at this, for the Israelites, and you, you would have looked at this and say, yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly what I want. I want a life where I have everything that I need. And if God had just given you that, you'd have been, okay, great. Right? And so we see here that sometimes we follow God because we just want a good life. And this is actually what most people's Christianity is. If, if you had wealth, health, and prosperity, is that it? Right? And that's where now, like we see, maybe the question for me to ask you is your commitment to God still great in the seasons when you're lacking? Because a lot of people... Sometimes, and I've, I've been tempted in this way, when going through t- hard seasons of suffering, all of a sudden, I've asked to, from God for this over and over, and I don't have it. And, and I, I, I want to I tell you that a lot of us, if we do not have God, has, if God doesn't give us what we think Christianity consists of, we exit and we go to others. Right. This is actually what was happening in the desert here. In the desert, they, 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 they want to go to the promised land. But here they are. They can't wait 40 days and 40 nights. And all of a sudden, Moses is no longer here. So we're going to turn to something that's going to be tangible, that at least will guarantee us that we're going to make it. They try to manufacture the promised land trajectory on their own. Right. But the, the thing about it is that what you get to see here, and you'll see there's a verse that I left here on verse, in verse, 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 uh, verse 3 there. Go up. And he says, but I will not go up with you because you are stiff-necked people. Otherwise, I might destroy you on the way. Like we're at the end of the day, for a lot of us, it would have been just enough for us to have everything we need. And God says, I'm not going to come. And you'll be like, okay, God, I'm fine. Because you know what? I've got it all. I've got it all. But here, this text kind of just begins to show us that the good life is not always a sign of God's presence when your life is still comfortable with sin. Like you can have, and that's, I think that's the most dangerous place to, have, to be in, to be in a place of affluence where you have a land flowing with milk and honey, but yet his presence is not there. Would you be okay with that? So this leads us to the second question. Are you okay? You, right where you are. Are you okay with God's gifts without God? Are you okay? Because that's what God says here. He says that I will not go with you because you want this life. Like you want, a, you want me to be compatible with your sinful life. You want, me, you want sin and me to live in the same place, but we are like oil and water. We're not going to be. You, the tolerating of your sin is, means you are abolishing me. Right? And then he's saying that I will not go with you. Because I am holy. 
And there, there is almost like a grace and mercy that he gives. He says, otherwise I might actually destroy you. Right? And when the people heard this, this is actually now like where, when the people heard this, they moaned and did not put on their jewelry. And that's now like where it's like, are you comfortable with God, with, with all the gifts without God? For them, they look and they're saying, wow, there's the dream right there. A land flowing with milk and honey. There is the American dream. There is what we wake up and we hustle and, and tussle and do all that from nine to five. There is what literally I've made it to the top of the mountain. There it is. A land flowing of, with milk and honey. But are you going to enjoy it without God? And the people say, no. Without you, God, this means nothing. Without you, God, this means nothing. And so they literally, they go into mourning, right? And that, that is a question that they, where God, that, that we need to check in, in our, our, own, our own hearts. Where God drops this bad news, I will not go with you. And the reason there, he says, you are stiff-necked. And this is like a, 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 a figure of speech. It's an idiom based on uh, basically farm animals like stiffening the, their necks to refuse the yoke. As they're being put on that yoke, they would refuse. They would refuse the yoke and they would pull a different way when they need to be going in a certain way. And, and here, the, for the people of Israel, bearing the yoke was leaving in obedience to the covenant. You stood before me as a bride and you said, I do. But yet you are wanting, you are comfortable. You want me to understand when you're like, God, I love you. Right? And this is actually like what um, one of my favorite authors, Kevin DeYoung, he says, he says the sin of idolatry and adultery and all that is like, is like saying to, to, to your wife or to your husband, honey, I love you so much. I love you. You are always going to be first. But I want to introduce you to this other woman here or this other man. I, I just want you to know you're always going to be a priority in my life. You're always going to, but like, you know what? Like, I, I just want you to like, I, I like her also. I like him also. That like just, but it doesn't mean I don't love you. It, it, it's okay. You're still a priority in my life. And here, that's actually what's going on. The, 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 the stiff-neckedness there is that the, the stiffening the neck against the yoke was disobedience, where literally they were saying, I love you, God, but I'm going to keep this also. Right? And God says that if you want that kind of living arrangement, it's dangerous for you. That's actually what God says. He's like, like, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> so I have to literally distance myself from you. Because if I stay with you, I might destroy you. So idolatry cherished is God abolished. Right? This is like what we call the darling sins in our hearts. Where at the end of the day, God cannot exist in the same space with, 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 with our stubbornness, right? And God here is saying, 
And he's connecting with the golden calf. Where here he is. And, it, while, and I just want you to kind of see what was happening in the golden calf story. Was like as God was giving instructions and saying, hey, this is what it's always been about. You know, with Moses, I used to walk with him and fellowship with him. And you know what? Sin came and it removed. It, 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 it caused a barrier. But I'm making my way back to you. And so for seven chapters, he spends just saying, this is what my house is going to look like. Like it's going to be a dangerous presence. So we need to kind of put some parameters around how I'm going to live with you. But while God is doing that, coming up with the plans on how to live with them, they are actually down there, literally committing unfaithfulness to him. Right? And then so here, basically like, and this thing was happening simultaneously. Right? And the result of that, when God says, I'm not going to go with you, he's saying the tabernacle project has been canceled. He's saying this like, you are facing a life without God. And this life without God, to some of you, looks like a pretty sweet deal. You've got everything. But yet, really, at the end of the day, according to the Israelites, when you look at it, that actually is the worst you can be in life. When you have everything that you that you think you need, but you don't have the one that you need. Right. So, this was God saying, it's going to be a life without the tabernacle. Remember, we looked at this. Like, I started thinking about it, and it's like, it, it's, it's not just like life without you. It's life without, without, there's no altar for sacrifice. So that means there's no forgiveness whatsoever. You are accountable for everything. It's a life without, without that level of, for cleansing. It means that you are literally accumulating dirt after dirt, dirt and all those things. And there's no guarantee for cleansing for you. It's a life without a lampstand for light. There's no direction in your life. You're running every single place and there's no direction in your life. There's no light and life in your life, right? There is no table for bread. There's no guarantee for provision. There's no sustenance and all that stuff, right? There's no incense for prayer. There's no way for you to click to, to, to punch in that SOS button and call for help. You're on your own. You're stranded in a dark cellar and there are no promises to hold on to that you will be able to escape from that. There's no ark for atonement. There's no glory for Israel in this point, right? And this is actually like, wait, why? Because God is holy. He's like that radiant sun. And here, what, what, if, we, if we, would, we would be instantly burned if you and I went like even closer to the sun than we need to, Right? And here, anything impure that comes into God's holy presence is destroyed. And he is a consuming fire. And so therefore, he's like, it's not you. We're going to have to define this relationship. Everyone has been there, right? 
where they're like, hey, so what are we doing here? Are we playing games? Like, what, are you going to marry me? What, what, what are we doing? Are you, are you serious? Let's define the relationship. If there is no holiness, there is no relationship. And in fact, you go to the book of Hebrews, and that's now even in the New Testament, it says that there is a holiness without which we do not see God. That if we cherish sin in our lives, we abolish God in our lives. And God would look at us and he would say, I never knew you, right? That's, so that's a very distressing place to be. So there's a weight to, and they moaned. And, and they moaned. And, they, and, and so my question for you is this, and this is like, we, we, we can take it from a, a, a low level, kind of just like, just like maybe just like low level, kind of just like from ground zero. Are you okay with just spending maybe days upon days where Jesus, I love just watching Jesus read them. Like especially in the book of Luke, he would spend time with God and he would go and be with the people. And he would retreat to the point when you get to Luke chapter 11, the disciples realize, hold on, something is big here. They go looking for him and they're saying, everybody's looking for you, Jesus. And they're like, everyone is looking for you. Don't you realize there is stuff to do? There are people to heal there. And then, and then they realize, and it says that he had withdrawn to go pray. And they, they eventually realize, huh, could you teach us how to pray? Because this is so important for you. Teach, teach us how to pray. Do you weep at the thought of his presence gone in your life? And that is demonstrated sometimes with, are you okay with just maybe where Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, by, by every word. Are you okay? Like you're like, I, I just, I'm, I haven't really opened my scriptures are you okay living a life without direction from him? Are you okay with a life of just maybe even prayer? So these are like just the ground level things of where there is a way in which we can be so, we can communicate that I'm okay without your presence, without actually going as far as the Israelites went. It could be just on a daily basis. But this is actually now where God, without his gifts, would you take that deal? And this is where often we live as if we, we could. And, and sometimes it looks like, like say you want God to bless you, to forgive you, to rescue you from hell, to protect you, to provide a spouse, and to provide a job and good health but you don't really want God himself. You don't want him making pres- like demands in, in, in your life, right? This is actually like where John Piper kind of poses this question in his book. He says that like his book is titled, God is the Gospel, right? That, that God is the Gospel. He says the critical question to our generation and for every generation and I want you to hear me in this, is this. 
If you could have heaven with no sickness and all your friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked, right, and all the leisure activities that you ever enjoyed, this is like wings galore, right? This is like, this is like, your best Super Bowl, where literally like, like, you know, like you've got, like, you've got everything you've ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you've ever seen that you ever saw and all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, no human conflict or any, or any natural disasters, right? Like you've got to think about that. The other day I was just looking, 7,000 people dead on just one day, right? Like just like if the, all that was gone, no wars that displaced 2 million people plus in just a short time. Could you be satisfied with heaven like that if Christ were not there? That, to that, God actually just then his people did that over and over. If you read the Old Testament, and that's just like, that's his people's story. That's our story. To the point that like, that's just the most surprising thing. There's, it's not going to be up there, but my favorite scripture that literally like is Jeremiah 2.12, where God says this. This is like God literally just like, like just literally tapping his son, tapping the spirit and looking at the angels. And he's like, Guys, would you come and look at this for a second? I, I, I don't understand. We're, be appalled. I'm just like, drop your jaw, heavens. Be appalled. Like, like, this is like, what is going on? Be appalled at these heavens. Be shocked and utterly desolated, right? For my people. My people have committed a double evil. What does that double evil look like? This is now like a, that double evil. They've abandoned me. What? Who am I? A fountain of living water. This is where you get your vitality from, your rejuvenation from. You've got in his presence, his fullness of joy. They have they've forsaken me, the fountain of living water. But look at what they're doing. This is actually what the good life looks like apart from God. They have died cisterns for themselves, right? Cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. They're drinking, basically they're drinking muddy, dirty water in comparison to me. And I'm here today to serve and just to say that if you have settled for the good life without God's presence in front of God, literally everybody's like, like there's sometimes when I'm just like, hey, when I look into my, even my darling sins and the things that I go back to and forth to, and I look at that and I'm like, there's sometimes where literally I, I feel as if God and the angels are looking and saying, what an idiot. What, what's he doing? Doesn't he know that there is everything in my presence? There is fullness of joy. And in my right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. But he's settling for that. Right? So, and this is what we see here. The Israelites, they're just like, there's this, he says they're stiff-necked. And we can detect this sign of stiff-neckedness or stubbornness in our lives when we are faced with repeated commands, right, 
on the same topic, and but we choose to continually disobey, right? It's actually what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, we have settled for cheap grace. A Christianity, he says, Christianity without discipleship is a Christianity without Christ. Where you say, yes, and Jesus talks about this. Isaiah talks about this. And Jesus called him. They draw near with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And then so now, what, what then needs to be, maybe this morning, what needs to be very, very, like what maybe you and I are begging the Spirit to do is, Holy Spirit, would you help me? If you've ever seen like it, would you help me mind the gap? Mind the gap between the, the state of my heart and the confessions of my mouth. And would you, through the work of your son, begin to close that gap? Right? Would you begin to close that gap so that you are my all in all? Right? So that you are my everything. Right? Psalm 86, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Like, and, and this is actually when, left alone, we are divided. We've got these divided hearts where we have like the Jesus box where we just kind of take it and we say, yeah, I've, I went to church. Everything is good. Right? So this leads us to this last question. Is God your greatest gift? And if not, he needs to be. The promise of the gospel is not that you get your sins forgiven and all that stuff. The promise of the gospel that means so much to me is that I get God. The promise of the gospel is that you get communion with him. And if you have, and this is where literally like if you are sitting there and you're just like, and you realize that you've been duped. And literally like if you read the parable of the sower, really what ends up actually really just like, like causing things, the word of God to not grow and thrive and bear fruit in our lives. Sometimes it's the cares of the world, the cares of the world, that that's the good life. That like, if, if we've been du duped to think, okay, this is what life is all about. Today, would you just realize that God is everything that you need? Verse 5, it says, For the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, you are stiff-necked people. If I went with you for a single moment, I would destroy you. Now take off your jewelry, and I will decide what to do with you. For the, so the Israelites remained stripped from their jewelry from, from Mount Horeb onwards. So the people begin to mourn. And this week, I was just kind of confronted with like, what is the po what's the point of this whole jewelry thing? Why are they taking it off? And, 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 and I'm glad you asked. Can we just kind of dive into that for a second? Right? It's a good question, right? It's, it's a good question. Let's kind of look into that. And for them, they're like, God, the promised land without you is not a good deal. Deal or no deal? No deal. Like, deal or no deal? No deal, God. That's not, that's gonna, that's not gonna happen. And the hope in that text is God saying, now take off your jewelry. Let me decide what to do with you. There's hope there. 
There's hope there. And so here they are. They find themselves right at that, at that place where they, they begin to show what I would look at as genuine repentance by actually taking off their jewelry. What was this? And so I want you to see here that, that jewelry was not just for decoration for these people. If you read in the ancient Near East culture, especially where they're coming from, where they're coming from, they're not even two years or plus removed from the, from the land of Egypt where they've lived for 400 years. So I had to dig in deep into the ancient Near East, like in Egypt, what was the reason why they wore jewelry? And, and the reason why is because jewelry was not just decorations. They were, they were decorations of, they, they had in them decorations of images of gods, these hieroglyphic writings. And in there, there was like incantations of literally protection and all those things. So these were amulets. Some of them were amulets like that they would wear, the way that were meant to ward off evil spirits and help them to be protected even in, in, in dangerous places. Right? That's why you found even more and more gold and amulets in, in, in their graves in Egypt, right? Like as in like they, they, they believed that this gold and all that stuff was gonna be was gonna help them navigate the underworld, right? And then so, having just come from Egypt, they are actually like, while they are holding on to their gold, there's something else that they are saying. They are holding on to some of their... The golden calf wasn't just only the, 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 the big symbol of, make us gods who would deliver us. They had gotten rid of the big, but the smaller ones were still there. The tiny ones were still there. And these were these amulets and all these things that they were carrying. And so by doing, by taking it off, they were eliminating other gods. And they were saying, God, you are the only one we cling to. Right. Without them, they felt probably defenseless, believing that they, that they and their families were open to attack of every kind of spirit, right? And, but this is actually where you get to see them actually saying, God, we are laying down everything. Deal or no deal? No deal. And so therefore, we're putting all our chips in in this. We're letting go. And it actually says here, the, 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 the most interesting uh, the phrase here is that they did not put them on from Mount Horeb onwards. Meaning that they, they removed it all of a sudden. And I want you to see here, this is actually now the, 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 the dangers of wealth. Um, wealth sometimes is actually like at the center of everything, their spiritual progress, you can just kind of trace. They, there's actually what they did with their gold here. Like their gold is used actually what? As a tool to turn away from God when they make the golden calf, right? And then here, it's a, it's a sign that they want to worship God alone. They take it off. Right, they take it off. They put off idolatry. Later on, this gold is going to be a sign in which like, they, they take off their wealth so that they can actually, what? Get involved in the building of the tabernacle. Which is now like where I always say it, like, wealth is like 
It's like dogs that just like, they will play with whoever has the ball, man. Like it's just, that, that's it. Like it's just like our hearts can actually be, like it, it's one of those things where you're seeing, you're seeing they're learning to give it up to God and to use it for his glory. At the end, in the center of actually Israel's struggle was what are we going to do with affluence? Right? And so here we see there's a need we cannot overlook. That we need to, when we realize that there's something that's causing us to sin, we need to get rid of it. And so that we can now get a hold. When we get rid of something, we enjoy communion with God. And here what you're getting to see is, there's something about it, like you're going to see Moses goes and builds a tent and it's on the outskirts of, of, of town. Like there's distance. Everything starts communicating distance. Distance, distance, distance. I will deliver, but I'm not going to go. My angel is going to be with you. Everything begins to create a distance where I think sometimes the danger of Christians um, is that while you might not lose your salvation, like, it's like when you cherish sin in your life, while you might not lose, it, while you're not, not, you might, you will not get unadopted, you will still remain a son and a child. What your Christianity is going to be like is going to be literally like living, living in Seattle, where it's always cloudy. You, just, you know the sun is shining, but you never feel the rays. Because there's something that you've cherished that blocks for you to just like enjoy and bask. And a cloudy day always causes us to be gloomy and causes us. And then that's actually what the, the probably the, 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 the big thing here is that we get to see that like, hey, when the Holy Spirit convicts us of any sin, we need to take off whatever is leading us to sin through the power that Jesus has given us and begin to enjoy his presence more. Because sin distances us away from what I would say felt communion versus like God is still there. But that felt communion is like the cloud. And so what you get to see is that from verse 7 to 11, you get to see God meets with his people. He meets with Israel. He meets with, and with Moses. And he begins to show, this is actually what I wanted my relationship to be like with you. Like, this is what I wanted to drive to. I want a face-to-face -face relationship with you. A relationship where... Where I, where I commune with you as I'm communicating with a friend, right? Moses here is the, and, and here we get to see Moses is having direct communication with God. And the people, and what you see them doing when he goes in, they stand and, when, and they see the symbol of the presence of God. And that's the grace there. What we celebrate is the fact that God doesn't totally withdraw from his people He's still meeting with his people even when he knows they are being unfaithful. And, but Moses is the only one here who is actually enjoying what? This direct communication with God. And what is distressing to his people is this, 
is this very thing that God all of a sudden is communicating with the mediator and but yet like this God who, has, who had said he was going to be a friend to them, walk with them and commune with them, all of a sudden because of the cherishing of their sin, he is now an enemy to them. Right? Sin takes a God who is full of grace and turns him into an enemy to us. Right? But I want to kind of just close by just kind of bringing us back to the hope that was there for Israel here. The fact that like while God would not go with them, he was still talking to their mediator. Right? And then this is actually what helps us even see what's, what's the marvelous privilege that we have today. Is the fact that like how can we meet with God? We do not have to go anywhere. We don't have to pitch a tent as believers in Jesus. We have this immediate access through Jesus, our mediator, and through the Spirit, right? We see that in Ephesians 2. That now you, are, you, you and I now are now tents of the Holy Spirit. That like where God now meets with us. And he speaks directly with us, to us, with his written words and with his written word. And he speaks to us through prayer and worship. And this is actually like what, what we need to now start actually realizing as the people of God today. That there are many blessings that come from knowing God. Many blessings, and but those many blessings that, that, we, that, that we have these many blessings, we have the privilege that, 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 that we have this privilege that we must not neglect. That there is this, that we have the blessing of repentance, of being able to see our sin and turn away from it. There's blessing of forgiveness in him, of knowing him and receiving a pardon for all our sins. That, that's, there's nothing like just knowing your heart is clean. There's this blessing of, of growing in godliness. We call it in sanctification of continually. Like where I look back 13, 15, 20 years ago when I met Jesus and I see nothing but the path of the righteous is like the rising sun and where he has defeated most of my sins, right? There's this blessing of adoption of having all the rights and the privileges of the son, of, of being a child of God. There's a blessing of perseverance that I can call on him and he will put new strength in him, in me, in me, and I can stay with God to, till the very end. And there's this blessing of glorification that I look forward to being with him and, and where the presence of sin and the power of sin is eventually abolished, right? The blessings of God go on forever and ever. But I want to really maybe push this in front of us. But the biggest blessing is God himself. That all these things, the forgiveness and all those things are great, but he is the greatest blessing. And we see that in 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ also suffered for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, and this is my favorite phrase in the Bible. That he might bring us to God. God was the gospel. God is the aim of the, of the gospel. Knowing him, knowing him is better than anything we can ever imagine. He, he, he is everything that we need. 
the blessed thing you could ever enjoy is communion with him, communion with the living God. And, and the, blessing, the blessing we get is to meditate on who he is, his power, his holiness, his goodness, and, and really getting to just behold him. Right? This is what causes David to lament. At one point, he says, better is one courts, one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. He's like, I only have one desire. I, I want to dwell in his presence and gaze upon his beauty. And he says, man, like, I thirst as a deer pants for the water brooks, so I thirst. And so when he finally has the gold, right, he has everything in the kingdom he needs. And he has what? The glory Right? And he has even the girl. At that time, he realizes in Psalm 51, and he says, please cast me not away from your presence. Please don't take away your Holy Spirit from me. Because he realized that without God, all this is meaningless. Amen? And so is God your greatest gift? And J.I. Packer would say this, what were we made for to know, to know God? What aim should we set our lives in life to know God? What is, what is the eternal life that Jesus gives? John 3, the knowledge of God. What is the best thing in love, life, bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else? It is the knowledge of God. And to that I end with Jeremiah 9.23. This is what the Lord says. The wise person should not boast in his wisdom. The strong should not boast in his strength. The wealthy should not boast in his wealth. But the one who boasts should boast in this. That he understands and he knows me. That I am the Lord, showing faithful love, justice, righteousness on the earth, and I delight in these things. This is the Lord's declaration. Let me pray. Father, we come before you. God, we thank you. God, as we meditate on this, God, we have these questions, Lord, in, even in front of our hearts right now. We ask you that, Lord, you would help us, Lord, to unlatch whatever gift we have made more important than you. Whatever gift maybe ends up taking us from you and your presence, that today as your people, we would be known as people who love your presence, as people who would let go of everything that hinders your presence in our lives. And for some people here today, God, I pray that this week you would begin a journey of just maybe the curiosity of saying, what's it like for me to cherish his presence? So Holy Spirit, would you come and press in front of our hearts the things that need to what we need to do to become disciples who cherish your presence because we know that 
when your presence is not cherished, we are so prone to wander and latch on something else that is not you. But all these are systems that cannot satisfy. So would you help us, Lord? And thank you that, Lord, that you always, you've left us with the gift of celebrating communion, a reminder that, Lord, your presence is all that we need. A reminder that everything that hinders us from your presence has been defeated, dethroned, and disarmed in Jesus. And so even as we celebrate communion today, God, would you make your felt presence known to us? And that presence, Lord, would even empower us, Lord, to let go of anything else, Lord, that has become idols in our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from City Church, located in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. We hope God meets you where you are and doesn't leave you, but changes you through the work of His Son. For additional information, please visit citychurchpa.org.